Welcome to the Ward Zero podcast, covering the civic issues you most want to talk about. You are now entering Ward Zero. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode seven for season two of the Ward Zero podcast. My name is Esmahan Razavi, and I'm joined by Darren Kraus and Jeremy Zhao. We want to begin with a land acknowledgement in the spirit of reconciliation. We acknowledge that we live, work, and play on the traditional territories of the Blackfoot Confederacy, including the Siksika, the Kainai, and the Pikani peoples, the Sutina, the Stony Nakoda Nations, the Métis Nation Region 3, and all people who make their homes in the Treaty 7 region of Southern Alberta. We've got a tight but exciting episode for you today. We are going to be talking about the severance payout of Stephen Carter, who was uh, Jyoti Gondek's former chief of staff. Freedom convoys, unfortunately, they are back. And we're also going to talk about the uh, three office to residential tower conversions happening in downtown Calgary and a $147 million surplus that's being reported. But we're going to begin with hot takes. And I'm going to throw this one to Darren, just FYI, our whole word zero scheduling around our recordings has been changed because Darren is doing something very special right now. Oh, stop special. Come on. What you guys are doing is just as special. Well, maybe not quite as special. The the hot take this week is uh, creating a lineup for U11 baseball. And for those of you out there who um, have coached a team, uh, especially at this age level, you know, there's a lot of dynamics at play. There's making sure that the parents are happy that they get to see their kids play, making sure that the kids are having fun, making sure that that everybody gets to experience certain positions. So I coach my son's 11U baseball team, Go Athletics, uh, and I've got I've got 12 kids on my team. And as many of you know, uh, if you're a baseball fan, only nine kids can play at a time. So that means if I've got a full team, I've got three kids in the dugout at any one time. So keeping all those things that I had mentioned in mind, it is a real challenge trying to put together, like I almost got to create a spreadsheet of where these kids are going to play so that they get equal playing time so that they get good representation of all of the positions and whatnot. It is a challenge. I don't envy uh, any other coach who is in a similar position to me, but it's great fun. And I'm looking forward to our first game tonight. How do you think you're going to do? Well, how long do we want the show to be today? We are actually uh, a really good, exciting young ball club. I, you know what? I, the kids just love learning and, and I'm the way I coach is a lot about fun while trying to trick them into learning skills too. So they're really excited. And, and I think my 10 year old has been like for the past three days going, Oh man, I can't wait till Wednesday night because we're going to do our first game and whatnot. So it, and I think a lot of the kids feel that way. Well, this is very exciting, Darren. You'll have to keep everyone posted on how your team does. Absolutely. We're going to go into quick hits too, and I'm going to throw it to you again, Darren. Sure. So uh, fresh off of a 1-0 game one victory, the Calgary Flames, they will continue to go through their first round of the NHL playoffs. 
And the city of Calgary earlier this week put out a few reminders for fans, of course, encouraging everybody to have a safe Calgary Flames playoff run. So right now, there are no planned road closures on 17th Avenue Southwest for the first round. I imagine that'll change uh, if the Flames continue to move along and the Red Mile gets a little bit more hopping. There are, however, parking bans along 17th Avenue between 2nd Street Southwest and 8th Street Southwest starting at 7 p.m. during home playoff games. Of course, this is going to allow people to still drive down there, but also make sure that people aren't running out in the street with traffic there. Alcohol is only permitted in licensed establishments. Public consumption of cannabis is not allowed. There will be greater police presence, and I'm sure that will also increase as the flames get deeper on into the playoffs. It's a good reminder for everybody that the Flames actually have uh, a place for fans to go. It's called the Red Lot. It's down on Stampede Grounds. Fans can go there. They can enjoy live music. There's some activities there and big screens for people to watch the games. The next one is it's emergency preparedness week right now. And I'm going to get this out while sort of dating us. But I think it's a really good opportunity for just a reminder to everyone to always be prepared. You know, the Boy Scout motto. So this week, the city of Calgary has had a lot of things, including a bingo card on safety that people can download. There were some other events out there, uh, especially one at the Telespark Center and the Canada Task Force 2, along with their dogs. And they are, you know, showing people the kind of work that they do in emergency situations. On Thursday, which is tomorrow, I know I'm kind of dating the podcast here, but they are providing a checklist for an emergency vehicle kit and vehicle uh, readiness toolkit, because you never know when you're going to be stranded beside the road. The city has all sorts of information, May through, I believe it's September or May through October is some of the most susceptible times for dangerous uh, or emergency type situations like fires, like floods, those, those sorts of things. So I just thought I'd give a shout out to emergency preparedness week. So we're going to get into our segments of the show and we're going to start with the $107,000 severance pay for Stephen Carter. So it came out in the news recently that Stephen Carter was, uh, I guess, given this amount of money as his severance pay. Uh, you know, he used to be Mayor Gondek's chief of staff and then, uh, and then he left. Um, there was some back and forth in the media, I guess you could say between the two where, you know, Mayor Gondek said that she, she wouldn't discuss this. It's a personnel issue. And um, Stephen Carter made some comments around the fact that, you know, <laughs> something along the lines of, and, and this is not a direct quote, something along the lines of like, uh, you know, him, him taking this money or being given this amount of money so that he doesn't talk about it more or like, doesn't, doesn't pursue legal action, something, something like that. Darren, am I, am I kind of paraphrasing him correctly? Yeah. I would even paraphrase it further and say it was hush money. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I wasn't going to go that far. <laughs> I mean, that's, but I guess that's that is essentially, kind of yeah. yeah, that is essentially it. Right. Yeah. Or, or at least that's what he's implying. Yeah. So, I mean, what do you guys think? Like, is this, uh, you know, a bit of a, a bump in the road for the mayor's office? Is this something we're going to keep hearing more about? I know Dan McLean 
Uh, Councilor McLean, you know, said that people deserve to know more details around this. Uh, are we gonna are we gonna see this coming up again and again? You know what's interesting is Stephen being Stephen. It's perceived to be, uh, I will call it a progressive or a, maybe even a centrist individual being questioned. You know, it's like, oh, this is like, you shouldn't question this individual. They're on our side. But when it comes to like more like right wing, we'll call it more conservative leaning candidates, they, for whatever reason, just get a lot more scrutiny here. And I think the scrutiny on the severance pay is, is totally valid, right? Carter was only at his job for, was it 100 days? No, not 100, sorry. Uh, you know, not a long, long period of time, right? So given given that fact and that he's getting all this severance pay and we don't really know what the outcome is, I think that the public does deserve just a little bit of explanation. But I guess if there are all these legal strings that always tie things back, then, you know, we, we only know so much, but it always gives this perception, like, you know, we elected this new mayor, we expected something fresh, we expected some, some more transparency, and we're, we're still not getting that. Obviously, that's going to add to the polarization, to the angst that is ever ongoing, ever growing with uh, city politics, you know, when I look at it from a, let's call it a 20 year perspective. There's a couple of things. Uh, first of all, I have no problem with the 104, and sorry, it is 104,166.65. That's not a, I mean, we're talking about pennies here. I, I actually don't have too much of a problem with, with it. Uh, and primarily the biggest reason that I have little issue with this is it was negotiated up front. This was a part of the severance package. I'm sure at on some level, it was talked about if I get dismissed at any time, this is a severance, whether that's three months, three years, you know, whatever the case may be. I mean, I, to some degree, I got to give credit to Stephen Carter for being astute enough to negotiate a severance. But if you look at it from a, a different perspective, and, and that is why are we negotiating these kinds of severance packages for public servants? I think that's an entirely different question. So perhaps, at least from my perspective, rather than worrying about the $104,000 that Stephen Carter has paid out for such a short time of work, I think I'm a little bit more concerned about why we're negotiating these sorts of lump sum payments for any public servant, whether it's a chief of staff, or whether it's the head of a certain department who had only been there for a certain amount of time. That's what we should really be concerned about, because that sort of shows that there's maybe a pattern of maybe disregard for employment, longevity, and, and that sort of thing. Let me bring up the quote that just, just so we have the actual real quote here from Stephen Carter, direct to me, my severance, in my opinion, was granted for two reasons, to ensure I was not vocal about the unjust nature of my dismissal and to avoid embarrassing litigation. I mean, I don't know, Esmahan, what do you think? Does that qualify as hush money? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I think the whole concept of a severance is like quite interesting, right? Because in a way, when you negotiate severance money, I, I mean, I, I don't know what the contracts were like in this case, but typically the idea is that you kind of give up or forfeit a right to pursue legal action. So in some ways, like the whole concept of, a, of severance is, is hush money. I mean, to your point earlier, Darren, about like whether, you know, public servants should be given severance. 
I mean, I think that there are arguments to be made that they, that they should, you know, they invest a lot of time in the work. It, it is like a common practice, like in the private sector as well, the magnitude of a severance, like I, I don't know how that is determined. I know, um, you know, when we were like, I was a government staffer and there was like a formula for how it was determined for us based on how long we worked, that kind of sort of thing makes sense to me. But like, like I'm more interested in the fact that like, is this going to be something that constantly coming up for the mayor's office or is this kind of like the last we'll hear of this of this whole story I think it's the last we'll hear of it to be honest with you again like I'm just curious to see if this keeps coming up because Dan McLean kind of said that he was going to try to see I guess if you know the public deserves to know more about this and I think I guess what why I'm curious about this is because you know it seems like there's a lot of HR going on around here like there's you know complaints that were rumors about Stephen Carter there's this like um, whole issue of his severance being made public there's like him obviously sort of implying that he was upset with a decision that he's no longer with the mayor's office so it's just like a lot of like inter-office politics that is being made like quite public and I wonder to what degree it can be made public when there's a lot of privacy governing a lot of the a lot of the issues that we're actually talking about that's probably not super interesting though but <laughs> I am curious about privacy and likes like that anything else you want to say on this nah no. I don't want to be sued so no So um, I can't believe we are still talking about this. The Freedom Convoys are back as the city is no longer pursuing its injunction. Collective sigh, eye roll, disbelief. I'm on the eye roll department. Like seriously, I haven't thought, and maybe this this is negative in itself. I haven't thought about COVID in probably about a month, really. What restrictions? are they so suffering from does anyone know i don't know i mean all the travel ones are or a a lot of the travel ones are being reduced or eliminated as well like i'm not sure what it is is it because we're still encouraging vaccinations i have i i have no idea and that's why i get an eye roll i had to do uh another eye roll when i got the press release from the Freedom Central Calgary and their Freedom Mile during Calgary Flames celebrations. It's the Red Mile. And for them to hijack that as well, for for a lot of people, that's gonna that's gonna alienate their group even further, I believe. And I can say on on the island, at least from what I can see, it's pretty much over. There's nothing that we're seeing, you know, the cruise ships are back. If the protests were to continue, that would be super, super disruptive for tourism, for the companies and businesses that have been, been, I guess, suffering basically for the past two years. And I would, it would probably be the same thing in Calgary, but it's just the, the persistence, right? Or what we're seeing in Ottawa, that seems to be pretty like still ongoing. I don't really know what the aims and goals are anymore. It just seems it they're they're going nowhere with it i will say like as much as i like eye roll and sigh when i see headlines like this there is a part of me that like gets quite anxious because like you know our podcast is being recorded just after the supreme court ruling or 
uh, leaked ruling, I should say, in the United States about Roe v. Wade. Like we're just seeing this like surge of like extremist right wing, you know, sentiment that in some areas is like taking power and stuff. And I just like, I just wonder that like, and I worry about like ignoring this and kind of brushing it off as like, oh, whatever, like this is, um, what's a politically correct word? This is silly. <laughs> okay. I think that's correct. Very politically correct. Yes. I was going to use like really not great language. This is silly when maybe it's, is there a reason to worry that this can turn into a broader movement, um, that these folks will rally behind a more extreme political party slash politician and move our country or province or city in a direction that makes us uncomfortable? Or is it too early to speculate on that yet? I, I, I think I, I feel that same kind of feeling, that anxious, like, what's happening kind of in the world, right? We can, we can ignore COVID, we can ignore a lot of stuff, but I, I do go, hey, you know, and I can only speak for myself, is it time for me as an individual to be a little bit more active and engaged in my community rather than just sit at home in front of my computer and, and complain about certain things, like actually go and do more volunteering, go and, and talk to people because that, that level of anxiety is, is, is worrisome, right? It's, you, you're just seeing it like, like a little bit, like kind of like frogs sitting in the, the little boiling hot water where it's the, the temperature is just being increased a little bit more and more. And I'm getting a little bit more, oh, what's the word? Like, I, I, I just don't care as much anymore, but at the same time, I should be caring because there are all these things that are happening in the world that are that are not in my favor as a, uh, a visible minority at times. I understand the, the anxiety. For me, it's a little bit more on a case-by-case basis. I don't think that there's necessarily a grand scheme, and that could just be me being naive about the whole thing. I do worry about situations like Roe v. Wade. Uh, I do worry about, you know, situations where there's there's overt racism. Uh, is the Roe v. Wade tied to the overt racist situation that happens here in Calgary? I'm not ready to make that connection. Yeah, I, I think it's always wise to be aware and be informed and be cautious of what could happen or or what direction we could be headed but i'm not prepared yet to you know lose sleep over it at night and yeah i'm i'm just not not quite there yet the whole roe v wade thing and we could do another we could do a whole show um far be it for me to be talking about roe v wade but uh i think something like that really makes me anxious over you know, some massive conspiracy going on worldwide to push right-wing extremism. I think, I think extremism in one form or another has been around for, for eons. Yeah. And I resisted the, uh, my impulse to do a hot take on Roe v. Wade, uh, cause it's extremely upsetting. And I think it's, I don't know that I would say that the anxiety is around necessarily like, oh, you know, some kind of like I'm going to use the words of Hillary Clinton, like a far right wing conspiracy (laughs) intended to like achieve certain ends necessarily. But what I, what I worry about is that there is an increasingly polarized segment of our society that is latching onto like extremist ideas to gain control over a world that they feel they're losing control over. And that, you know, these freedom convoys were uh, a symptom of that. 
that Roe v. Wade is a much larger symptom of that. And that, you know, like, I just worry about this idea, I guess, because I saw a lot of this in the last two days. There's some Canadian male columnists who I will say were like, oh, it's never going to happen here. And it's like, well, that's like really easy to say for people whose like rights are not on the line. So, so that's kind of where the anxiety is coming from. It's like, I feel like we need to be like really vigilant about a lot of these things because, you know, I mean, the U.S. is our neighbor and unfortunately what they do seems to find its way up here. So anyway, I didn't even want to talk about Roe v. Wade, but I managed to do it. That's okay. We, we you know, that's the beauty of this podcast is, we can take it whatever direction we want. I will say, Esmahan, that your voice sounds splendid with your new microphone. Thank you. Thank you. I hope it's clear. I, I don't know if it makes a difference, but it seems to to you. So, Well, well <laughs> not that I understand you any better, but it certainly does sound crisp. Good. I'm glad. towers are now being uh, converted to residential towers in downtown Calgary. And there's going to be a $31 million contribution from this city. Interestingly, there is a real estate group, NIOP, who is basically calling on the city to pick up its pace around downtown revitalization. They want to see more action on attracting people downtown, more emphasis on improving um, public safety. And I guess I am sort of extrapolating here, but, you know, turning downtown into a bit more of a hub, a lot more of a hub than it is right now. Darren, Jeremy, thoughts? Well, yeah, you know, I I can sort of understand where NAOP is coming from. And just before we move on, I just want to give credit where credit credits do. That was a story from the CBC by Scott Deppel. I would be remiss if I didn't mention a fellow City Hall journalist producing that story. But yeah, I, I mean, the one thing that we have to realize with these downtown office conversions is they're not actually going to be complete until, let's say, 2024, maybe some 2025, depending on a variety of factors, including financing, how the economy goes, and all of this thing. But in the meantime, we need to be activating the downtown. We need to start training people that there are things going on in the downtown that does so many things. It gets people in that mindset, but the downtown has also suffered from a lot of this, this anxiety over safety. And we bring more people down and all of a sudden, you know, the safety issues start to maybe become less and less because there's more eyes around. There's more activity going on. I'm inclined to agree with Naop. I feel like the city ha- announced their big funding for the downtown, and we've been really slow to see some of these projects, these activations take place in downtown Calgary. So I think groups like Naop, who, who have a vested interest in the downtown area and the success of the downtown, have a really good point here. But I think even if they you know, started tomorrow, there's just so much in terms of supply chain, I guess a labor crunch that that's, I, I understand the urgency of that ask, but practicality wise, it's not happening, right? You're, everything is delayed, right? Like I work in the oil and gas sector, like we're super delayed on, on a number of, of stuff right now, when it comes to shipping parts, shipping valves, shipping different things, everything's just being backed up. So I understand the urgency, like I said, 
but to to deliver on this would probably like honestly a lot of these big capital projects is beyond the the lifespan of the current council probably right council's only for four years a lot of this stuff probably won't happen within their term yeah i mean i think that there are like rooms for there's room for different solutions to this situation right like there are like long-term solutions which is you know turning office buildings into residential buildings Uh, i know there's some stuff around like you know turning buildings into like vertical gardens and stuff, um, which is, I think is like also quite interesting, but there need to be like short-term solutions as well. You know, as someone who has lived in other cities with pretty vibrant downtowns, I will say like, you know, whereas like I would walk to my apartment in like Vancouver or Toronto, you know, at like one in the morning, I would feel unsafe walking through downtown here because of how there's no one there, right? Like it just seems so empty. It feels like a bit of a ghost town. And I I think that that does discourage a lot of people from partaking in our downtown in the way that they would another city that's sort of the same size of of, of ours or that, that, you know, wants to be like that, like world-class city or or whatever the term is. So I think we need to be thinking of what are the projects that we can be doing that are quick, that can attract people downtown, that make people want to explore downtown, um, engage downtown, eat downtown, drink downtown, walk downtown. Like those are things that I think we can be doing now as a city. Uh, and I, I hope that as the weather gets nicer, the days get longer, COVID is somewhat over. Like we look at those kinds of solutions and, and you know, create those kinds of gatherings so that we can inject some vibrancy into our downtown. That's a really great point, Esmahan. I think it's those things that while we want to expedite the, the office conversions, and I believe the city is going to be announcing a, a, a few more, they had 11 applicants for the for the office conversion funding i think it is those short term things me and the family have gone downtown we've seen some of these activations whether it's beakerhead or you know events like that and there are literally hundreds of people downtown during these types of events i think the frequency the variety and i don't know just maybe the the amount of time that these go on, you know, you can't have something go on for only two or three hours. It's got to start at like six o'clock and it's got to go till two in the morning, catering to all different varieties of people. So it can do exactly as you say, it can keep people out and about on the streets and we can create a certain vibrancy that let's be honest, unless it's something like the Red Mile or during the day, like the the Lilac Festival that's coming up or the Calgary Stampede Parade, the city has a habit of creating these events that are in finite times and spaces that don't allow a wide variety of people to kind of navigate their way through them throughout the course of the day or for seven or eight hours at night. And I think we kind of have to get over that sort of mentality of creating, you know, these one or two hour events that only a certain number of people can go to at any one time. I completely agree. And there are lots of examples of events that are done around the world and other cities that I think we could adopt and and look at, you know, making our own. One of the things I, I enjoyed quite when I was like an undergrad in Toronto was we did like this thing called Nuit Blanche. So for one whole night, all day, all night, like the city downtown was turned into like an art installation. And like, there were just like different ones. And everyone was even with their kids walking around late. We did it when the weather wasn't so bad. 
Um, that was something that was like really cool. I feel like they're just things that are like, you know, can engage different sectors. Like we have such a great arts and culture sector in this city. And uh, it's unfortunate to me that the only time people can see arts and culture is in a building, sitting down and watching a show. Like let's see more street performances. Let's do that kind of thing that just creates a little bit more life in our city because we have so much to offer, so many great things and let's let's capitalize on it. Yeah, what a great point, Darren. Like just things, I just go you know, to Esman's point about like short-term things, but like very creative things or things that we can leverage off of what other cities are doing already. I just still don't see that in Calgary. Like the, for example, the act of having to register in advance so you could could drink alcohol at a certain bench at a certain time, like just things like that, you know, where the city tries, but they only go kind of halfway to, I guess, compromise the the uh, or balance between the competing voices of what should and shouldn't happen in the city i feel like the city's just got to go all out and try things you, you can fail but you haven't tried things to a full extent like i've never seen like a for example like a a night market you know where you close off a section of downtown every friday or every saturday or or all three days and have people come in for a a night market with street vendors tents and stuff like that right like big things like that that really disrupt the way we want to conduct business or the way we want to live in the city. I just haven't seen that motivating aspect in the city. And I say that because I, you know, for example, I go to an LRT station. There's nothing at that LRT station. Why can't, you know, the city, I know there's all these legal stuff, but like go all the way, try it out, put a food vendor at an LRT station because at LRT station is so boring. And that, that creative mindset, I just don't see happening in the city. And it's, it's hard for me to imagine if it's really hard to get permits or to be creative, how they're going to do that in downtown. I really love your thought around failing. And I wish this city would, would have the guts to fail a little bit more and, and fail miserably if, if need be. When we fail, they are absolutely obliterated by either the local media or by particular counselors or whatnot. So there's this fear of failing and this fear that if we go and we spend $50,000 on a festival that kind of sucks, that all of a sudden we're going to be, we're going to be called out for the fact that we wasted $50,000 on taking a risk or taking or, or experimenting with something I wonder if that prevents a lot of really interesting or exciting things from happening. Because I have no doubt, to your point, Esmahan, that with Calgary's really great arts and culture scene, that there are people coming to the city going, hey, what if we were doing this? What if we did that? I've got this great idea. And the city goes, nah, can't do this because of this. Can't do this because of this. Oh, gosh, are we going to have to put like 25,000 bucks in here? Because if that's the case, whoa, you know, when this when this hits the light of day, our conservative compatriots on council are going to be like, what the heck are we spending $25,000 for this for? And I think there's a lot of that paralysis by analysis in a lot of ways or, or paralysis because you're worried about the, the outcome and whether you can justify the outcome. I think that's a really bad place for the city to be in. And it's definitely something that we need to break free of if we want to achieve the kind of success that a lot of people are hoping for in the downtown. I totally agree.
Okay. So we're going to go into our final segment. So the city of Calgary posted a 147 million standalone budget surplus in 2021. Uh, I believe that that was revised to a hundred million, Darren, is that correct? Yeah, somewhere around a hundred million. Councillor Courtney Penner brought it up on the Fridays at five last week. She'd said that after, you know, going back to administration, they clarified and said it was either a hundred or 105 million. So there was a special meeting of council held to review the consolidated financial report. The city of Calgary chief financial officer said that there was a surplus in uncommitted funds. Where do I go from here? That's the million dollar, well, the hundred million dollar question. Where do we go from here? And I think that's a, the question that a lot of folks are, are asking, uh, particularly some councillors, of course, immediately it comes up that $100 million, let's give it back to the taxpayers in tax relief. I know that Councillor Penner said not only in council, but also on the show that this surplus is actually the result of a lot of wise decisions, not only wise decisions in where the city can save or has saved or been able to uh, create efficiencies, but also in where they're making investments. Not to put words in her mouth, but I believe if I'm paraphrasing correctly, uh, she had said, if we continue to make those investments, we continue to reap the rewards of making those investments, whether it's in uh, finding more efficiencies or we solve a problem that was perhaps costing us more money. So, I mean, a great example, and this is not one that, that Councillor Penner had brought up, but an investment in LRT cars. So A, we can get back to four-car train service, and B, the older four-car trains or the older model cars that are on the four-car trains, they're out of service a lot because these are, are cars that are on the end of life. Imagine if we invested that money into LRT cars so that we had fewer cars that needed service and we could be more, more predictable, more regular with transit service. I think sometimes the easy default answer is, yeah, let's give it back to the taxpayers, the hard, the hardworking Calgarians who are facing tax increases every year. Uh, let's give it back to them. But I think that some thought needs to be given when the city is doing these things. And that's what they're going to take the time to do. I, I think the one, the one thought that I had when you were talking about the, the LRT train cars and buying new ones is all these different nuances that go in, right? We're saving money, I presume, from a maintenance perspective, because we've invested the capital portion. But if you don't know how, you know, buckets of money work, when it comes to the city and province, it's really hard for you as a regular citizen to understand because they'll go, well, why can't I just take this $107 million and dump it into something when you, you know, legally can't do that. And I think there's all these nuances when we talk about certain things, uh, particularly on the podcast, it's it's good for us to clarify, to, to at least highlight that, hey, it's not, it, there's these different pockets and we have to spend these different pockets in a certain way so that we get the savings at the end. And maybe those nuances aren't captured because, I don't know, people don't have time reading the newspaper or, or online for six hours a day to try and understand those nuances. Or, or it doesn't fit their their own personal narrative. Right. I, I'm sick of paying taxes. Therefore, if there's a surplus, I want my taxes back. But 
quite often the, those are the same folks who are complaining about their recycling costs or their garbage pickup or their street clearing or the fact that you know there's there's a, a roads issue potholes aren't being fixed so i think i think you need to t- to or i think folks need to take a step back and they need to look at the bigger picture and see how as you had kind of said you know the nuances of things and how they're all inextricably linked uh, you can't cut off your nose to spite your face, so to speak. And, and one of the things that, that I had brought up when we talked about it on the Twitter spaces was whether we like it or not, whether it's the cost of inflation or because stuff breaks down or stuff needs to be replaced, the city of Calgary's budget, unless we want to reduce services to some degree, is always going to go up a little bit. So we can use this surplus now and we can pay for some of those things to level out the steep tax increases or we can give it back to taxpayers we can demand a tax cut and then three years from now when everything has fallen apart we have to demand a 12 percent tax increase just to catch up that's an inevitability especially when you're dealing with cities and and property taxes that only have that one tool which is property taxes. I think it would be nice for, you know, city administration to say, if we were to ever entertain the idea of where we would do a tax cut, let's say we want to bring the budget in to be lower than the next four-year cycle, what that would do in terms of not only an immediate short-term effect, but long-term effect, like how that would affect your services. I, you know, I don't have to agree or disagree with it, but I think it would be important for us to show like, yes, we can cut taxes. Yes, we can return your $100 million back, but here's the actual practical consequence to that, because I, I still feel like it's a little bit disingenuous for anybody running for any level of office to say, I'm going to cut your taxes and taxes are going to go down. Like that, this never happens. Like it, 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 yeah, it just never happens. So why would you pitch that unless it's for some specific narrative and you want to win? Great. I don't, I don't care, but it, it, it truly never happens. Esmohan, how would you like $100 million of City of Calgary surplus be spent? I'd like it to be spent wisely on programs that make our city a better place. I don't think that $100 million, I don't think that telling people you're going to get X like amount of checks back or whatever is like a smart use of the money. I mean, I mean, there are lots of programs that I think help some of our most vulnerable citizens. I know that there are lots of business units, if I can put it that way, that could benefit from the money. I mean, we, we're talking about things like and, and I don't know that necessarily this would go into this, but are there any interesting like capital projects that this could go towards? Or like, what about like, you know, I know that the low income transit pass was sort of under threat for a little bit. Is this something that could go toward that to bolster that, keep it in place longer for a longer time? Like, I just think that there are um, ways that we can use the money that make the city a better place. Okay. We all just virtually hugged there. <laughs> Thank you. Thank <laughs> you. I'm trying to radiate some positivity. <laughs> Not as positive as you, Darren, with your game happening today, but I'm, I'm trying. Whoop, whoop. Go athletics. Go, go A's, right? Go A's. Go athletics. Well, as always, thank you so much for joining us. If you want to talk about municipal politics, there's a lot of ways for you to do so. You can join Twitter Spaces. It's Fridays at, I believe it's four o'clock now, Darren. Is it not baseball season? 
Well, yeah, for baseball season, it is Fridays at four. Thank you very much for bringing that up, Esmahan. You're very welcome. So you can join him on Twitter Spaces by going at, to his Twitter at LiveWire underscore DK. You can also follow us on Twitter. Darren's at LiveWire underscore DK. Jeremy's at JZ from Calgary. And I'm at Esmahan YYC. Thanks so much. Have a great day. Thank you.